one of you here today again. What an awesome day for our church, uh, our family, just to see uh, God taking us forward. And I believe I believe this was just the beginning of a new season of God just uh, just helping us grow, mature, and move forward. Uh, there are good things that are happening here, and I want to encourage you to, you know, whenever you can, be here so you don't miss out on what God is doing. Now, next week for Team Train, uh, I, I want to add this to it, that, that this is kind of a, a little hidden Easter egg for, for you today. If you come, we are actually going to have a guest speaker there that's going to uh, just uh, encourage you um, and just bless you. So I want to make sure that you let your team leader know, you let the information people know if you can be there for next week to do that. Now today I have the privilege of continuing a series that Pastor Peter started last week called Transformed. And I just want you to know, I actually listened to the message here And didn't he do a great job? Didn't Pastor Peter do a great job last week talking to us? Now, he talked to us about what it means to be born again. That part of our transformation is that each of us needs to be born again of water, blood, and of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what we are called to do. And if you miss that message, I I, want to take this opportunity to encourage you, Go and listen to it. You can go to our website, www.eastsidecitychurch.ca. Our messages are there. Or you can go to iTunes and and look up uh, Eastside City Church. You'll find our podcast and all that there. Please stay connected with us. And if you need to know anything else that's going on in the church, you can find it on our website. Well, today I want to continue on this whole idea of transformation. Because what we heard last week, that transformation is really about change. Now here, here, you're like me. If you look at the world around you, you realize the world needs some change. There's some things that are hurting. If we look at our governments, you know, we, we would say that, that there are some things that we're believing that need to change, whether we're from Canada, the United States, or other countries of the world. We, we realize that government needs change. Or, or maybe You take a look at the schools, whether it's the public school, the Catholic schools, private schools, that that maybe you're concerned about what's going on in the schools. And you're like, yeah, pastor, I think some things need to change there. Or when you turn on the television, you listen to the the news or the media or, or some of the television shows, you realize that things aren't what they could be or should be, that it could use some change or or even closer to home. When you look around your neighborhood, you look at the people that are walking around, you see what's going on in their world. Maybe you don't know everything, but you know enough to know that something needs to change. Well, here's the question that I have. Where does change happen? Where does it start? Where do we begin? And I, and I, and I, and I want to get right to this here today, that in order to change our nation, in order to change our neighborhoods, in order to see our schools change, I believe this, that change starts with each and every one of us. God has to change us. In order to grow, in order to move forward in our life, requires continual change. Now, we can be reluctant to change. That's not always something that we're excited about. Why? Because it can be uncomfortable. I I know that when I come to church on Sundays that I I like to sit where I sit, right here in the front row. That's my spot. You know, and if somebody else is sitting there, I don't necessarily like it because I have to change where I'm sitting. Can I hear an amen for that? 
You know, when we are forced to deal with maybe some things in our life, it can be inconvenient. It doesn't always fit our schedule. And so, it, because it takes effort, it takes work, it, it, it isn't always easy. Now, I just returned home and I want to uh, say thank you for those who prayed. Most of you probably didn't know, but my wife and the family, we were away down in Florida with uh, Pastor Ron and Karen. They send their greetings to you. They say hi to you. Actually, they're going to be back in Calgary in about three to four weeks, so you'll get to see them. Hallelujah. But we got to visit with them. But on our way home, we had to take an airplane. We had to catch a plane. And one of the things that happened is there are not any direct flights to Tampa Bay from Calgary, so we had to stop in New York. I needed to change planes. Now, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be good if I, if I decided that, you know what, I, I got to New York, I don't really want to change planes. You know, I like my seat. I, that's something probably no, nobody's ever said on an airplane. But just go with me for a moment. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I like where I'm at. I'm comfortable. I, I like the people I'm with. I don't want to go get back in that line. Nobody enjoys the lineup. You know, I just want to, I want to stay here. You know, maybe the person that, I'm, that I can get seated with, they might be annoying, or maybe they're going to elbow me the whole trip, or, or maybe they don't fit into their seat like I don't fit into mine, and we're kind of we're spilling out into each other's seats. You know, I, I don't want to do that. But sometimes, as silly as that is, that's how we live our lives. Ooh, I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't like that. I, I'd rather stay where I'm at. Even if it's an uncomfortable plane seat, you would rather stay where you're at than do something different. But we're called to change. When the Holy Spirit put the idea for this series in my mind on transformation, here, here were the thoughts that, that I was wrestling with, that I've been wrestling with, and it was this. Why do we as people struggle to change? Why do we struggle with change? Or why sometimes don't we change? We know that we should, but we, we, we struggle with it. And, or why don't we experience the, the full measure of freedom that God has for us? Why are we not living the way that the Bible says that we should be living in the blessing and the fulfillment and the promises, free and rejoicing in him? Why don't we experience that like we should? And then why don't we see the release of the power of the Holy Spirit through our lives? Why, why aren't people getting healed? Why aren't people miraculously being transformed and changed even as we walk on the street? I have read about that in the Bible. Why does that not happen in my life or your life? And here's what God directed me to kind of start where I'm at today in this series. The problem is, is that we don't completely understand or we forget what our position is in Jesus, who we are. You see, because of what Jesus has done, we just celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago, the story of the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, a, a, a righteous, holy man who knew no sin, died for us and then was resurrected. That because of what he's done, we can and should be living a life that has been transformed. Here's what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 15. Now, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, that you would open that with me. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Or maybe you have your Bible app on your phone. It's all good. And if you don't have any of those things, you can just follow on the screen behind me. But here's what Paul said about Jesus. 
He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. In fact, at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. You see, Paul is talking about that at one point that we evaluated, we looked at Jesus from our own earthly perspective, but now we know that we can't do that because of what he says next. Because that means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. There's a change that Paul is talking about here that has happened. Well, what is that change? Well, Jesus died so that you and I would be changed or transformed, that we would become more like him, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but that we would live for him, that our, life would, that our old life would be gone. Who, who here today is saying, I'm thankful that some things in my old life are gone? I don't live the way that I did before Jesus was a part of my life. That our old life would be gone and that a new, completely new life would begin. You see, I used to live myself with fear. I used to live with holding on to anger. I used to live without, sometimes without hope. But now I live a new life, a victorious life. This is what Jesus is saying. But here's the reality. I know in my own life, I still sometimes feel fear. There are times that I still get angry. And even though I hate to admit it, I can still feel a bit hopeless at times. I don't know if you can relate to me, if I'm talking to the right people here today. And so I ask, well, what is the problem? Why, why does this happen? Why do I vacillate? Why do I go back and forth between these two things? And the problem is because like you and me together, we sometimes forget our position in Christ, that we are now righteous through the blood of Jesus. You see, today I want to talk to you about that, that we're, we're righteous in Christ, that you need to understand his righteousness and how it works in your life. And then if you capture this thought, if you grab a hold of this thought about his righteousness, it will change the way that you live. You see, the question we have to ask ourselves is, we don't always see ourselves as righteous. Do, I mean, do you see yourself as righteous with God today? You know, because of life, because of circumstances, because of wrong choices, we don't always see ourselves as righteous, but we, because we forget that this is who we are through the blood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the grave so that you could be righteous. Tell your neighbor, you are righteous. You might even say if you're trying to be cool, you're a righteous dude or... You're a righteous gal. I don't care. I'm going to kind of leave it at that. Romans 3.22 says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Now that was out of the New International Version. The NLT says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So here's what I want to start off by saying, that God's righteousness is available to everyone through Jesus. There's nobody 
that cannot walk in his righteousness. But we have to understand what righteousness is and what it isn't. That we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you, you, you would, if you're honest here today, you know, I don't need you to raise your hand. You can wink at me. You feel like it's important to be right. You like to be right. You do not like to lose arguments. Or worse yet, to be wrongly accused about something. You know, I see a lot of chuckling, a lot of smiling. You see, if somebody says to me, I, I mean, I know this, I, I want to be right. And especially in my marriage, I want to be the one who's right. And if you tell me that I'm wrong or you tell me that I, I, I don't get it, you know, it's like a Texas death match now begins to ensue. And there's a battling, there's a jostling for who's right. That we, you know, we can hold on to, to we fight to prove our points. We, we dig in to hold on to our perceived position of innocence. And we wait sometimes, we will wait. Maybe you're more holy than I am. But we'll wait for that person who's performed the injustice of being wrong to at least admit they were wrong and that we were right. We, 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 we will wait for that. You know, we love to be right. But who here, I, I, I need you to understand this, that righteousness is not about being right. It's about being aligned with the right person. I'll talk about that here in a few more minutes. You see, the Greek word for righteousness, and I'm not even going to try to attempt to say it to you today. You didn't have to trust me that I'm telling you what the Greek word is. has many different meanings. First of all, the Greek word for righteousness means to be innocent, that, that, that when you are righteous, that you have Jesus' righteousness, that you're now innocent. You're without guilt or shame. I know that on the front row here, Alicina is like, yes, I am with innocent. <laughs> to be just. It means to be just. That you, that, you, that you make the right decisions. That you do the right things at the right time. It means to be in right standing. That you're in proper alignment in your relationships, both with God and with people. But here's what the main definition is, and, and I thought this was just so interesting, and I'd never seen this before. It means to literally be approved by God. That when you are walking in Jesus' righteousness, that you now have God's approval on your life. I believe this, that every single human being on the planet has a need for approval. That we need to be approved. But the reality is, is that we live in a, a cruel world that just chips away at us. It attacks us. It, it, it goes after us. It tries to steal our confidence. It tries to attack who we are as a person. And you see, righteousness is knowing that regardless of what is going on around you, that God approves of you. You see, when we turn to Jesus by faith, we are now approved by him. Well, you know, Pastor Todd, I, 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 on Friday I took a, a math test and I failed it at school. But the Bible says you're approved, regardless of how you did on that test. But you know what? I was late. I was late for work. I was late for my staff meeting. I was late for that appointment. Yeah, but with God and his righteousness, you're approved. 
Maybe you're a mother here and you're like, I struggle to get my house cleaned again today. I feel like such a failure, but God wants you to hear today. You are approved. Oh no, I forgot to call my dad on his birthday. It'd be worse if you forgot to call your mom, just saying. But even if that happened, you are approved. I want you to write this statement down. What God approves, man cannot remove. What God approves, man cannot remove. I know as a a, a kid, I, I struggled many times with trying to feel approval. I sought it out. I grew up in a single parent home. My dad wasn't around much. Our relationship was shoddy at best. And so I spent much of my time looking for approval from people. And so I did crazy stuff. I did even dangerous things to try to get people to like me, to think I was cool, to think I was fun. You know, that happens when you're bounced around from parent to parent. In fact, when I was in elementary school and early in my junior high years, I had a direct path, a direct route to the principal's office. They could set their watch on Mondays or Wednesdays that this is when Todd Swisher is going to show up at the principal's office because I just was, I was involved in something that I shouldn't have been. I was cutting up. I was trying to make my friends laugh and the teacher didn't think I was funny. I'll tell you how crazy it was. When I was 11 years old, I don't know if you've met anybody like me, I actually got suspended from Sunday school for six weeks. I said this at Pastor Peter and Crystal and Matthew and Rochelle, thank the Lord, I was not in your children's church. It was, I was a distraction. I was constantly in trouble all of the time. And I had a pastor tell me a few years later, it was, you might find this funny today, but it wasn't funny then that the reason he quit teaching Sunday school was because of me. (laughs) Realized it wasn't his calling. What God approves, man cannot remove. So what is our righteousness? How how do do we walk in righteousness? Well, Jesus had some thoughts about this. And one day when he was teaching his disciples and the crowd around him in Matthew 5, verse 20, he said, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What was he talking about? Well, The most well-known Pharisee that I can recall in the Bible was a man by the name of Paul. We've already read Corinthians. We've read some other chapters here in the Bible, verses in the Bible. He was one of the great writers, one of the great teachers and leaders of the Bible. But he grew up as a Pharisee. He was trained in religious law and customs. He knew knew the law inside and out. He knew their traditions inside and out. And he was known for honoring the Jewish tradition. In fact, he was zealous to attack, to even remove anyone who would shake the religious values of Judaism. In fact, when God got a hold of Paul's life, when God grabbed a hold of him, 
He was actually chasing down Christians, hunting them down, sending them to be hunted by, sending them into the arena with the lions because of his zeal for following the religious rules and law. He lived the right way. He was, he, was, he was doing things according to what he knew was best. But here's the problem. Righteousness can never be attained through our own strength and our abilities. You cannot follow the rules good enough to attain righteousness. We call that when we try to self-righteousness. Now, who here knows that it's irritating to be around somebody who's self-righteous? Why? Because in order to build themselves up, they tend to put other people down. Why? Because their world isn't about comparing themselves to Jesus. They compare themselves to other people. And they say things like this, well, I'm not as bad as Fred. Fred drinks a lot and, you know, he's cheated on his wife. I would never do anything like that. I might lie here and there, but everyone does that. By the way, I give money to the Cub Scouts and to the Children's Hospital. I'm a a reasonably good person. You see, typically, self-righteous people want everybody to know what they're doing. Want everybody to know how much they serve, how much they give. You see, we can get a little pharisaical, righteous, self-righteous attitude. Even in the, the church, it can come into, well, don't people recognize how much I'm serving? Do they not see me worshiping God, leading the people into the holy of holies? You see, we can have all sorts of ideas where, where all of a sudden we base our performance, the things that we do, that somehow that's how we get approved by God. But I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to remind you that it's completely wrong. The problem is that other people are not our standard for goodness or righteousness, that we can do nothing to make ourselves righteous, that we all come up short when we compare ourselves to the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Well, first they hid, but the second thing they did is they tried to cover their own nakedness by making these leave things. And the problem is that their covering was not acceptable to God. It didn't work. They couldn't cover their sin. They couldn't hide their shame. But here's what happens. Jesus changes everything. Jesus comes on the scene. And and so instead of looking to man for approval, instead of looking for what we do for approval, Jesus says, look to me. You see, this should motivate us to a higher level of living. So if we can't earn it, how do we get it? Well, one of my favorite things to do is to watch college football, U.S. college football. I love the Oregon Ducks. If you're around me long enough, you will know I'm a diehard Oregon Duck fan. I know the fighting ducks don't sound really that intimidating. Now, their biggest rival is the Washington Huskies. Don't like them. Never have. I never will. And one of the things that you want to do is you want to be able to, to, if you can, to go to that game where you'll have 70, 80,000 people all crammed into a stadium screaming their fool heads off. I, when I was 15 years old, I, I, I really wanted to go to that game, but I wasn't able to. Even though my grandfather was a season ticket holder, he invited somebody else. I think it was Fred that I was talking about earlier. And anyways, I didn't get to go. But somebody in my church knew that I love the Ducks 
who was a Husky fan, this was hard to believe, called me up and said, hey, Todd, I've got something for you. He says, would you like to go to the game? I've got a ticket. So I said to him, well, how much is it? How much is the ticket? He said, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to give you this ticket. In fact, I'm going to pick you up. I will pay for your food. I'm going to pay for your ticket. I just want you to have a good time. You see, there's nothing I could do to earn that ticket. It was a gift. And that's how Jesus' righteousness works in our life, that it's a gift that he gives to us. And see, the reality is just like that ticket, you either can accept it or you will reject it. You see, if we could earn our salvation, if we could earn our righteousness, we would not need Jesus. But we accept his righteousness by allowing it to cover our lives. It's like putting on a coat. You see, when I put my trust in Jesus, when I walk in his grace and his forgiveness, I'm putting on his righteousness. When I realize that, God, I need your strength. Oh, I may not be perfect. I'm probably going to make some mistakes today, but Jesus, I'm going to turn to you at every turn. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you my righteousness. You just have to put on my righteousness. You see, when we do things in our own strength and we say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to figure out my own way, what we're saying is, well, I'm going to take off his righteousness. And now we face the judgment and everything all by ourselves. So either we accept it or we reject it. You see, when we understand through Jesus that we are now righteous, it will change how we live you see, when I understand that I'm righteous, I don't want to allow sin to control me. I don't want to accept. I, I don't want to do my own will. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to walk under the approval of heaven. I want to be like Jesus in my character and my nature because I'm wearing his righteousness. And what God approves, man cannot remove. And some of you, some of you have still been struggling with people labeling you, people telling you, you know, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right. And I'm here to tell you, put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ today. Wear his righteousness. Because what God approves, man cannot remove. Well, I'm running out of time here today. And I'm going to finish with this point. But why we, when we put on his righteousness, well, what does it do for our lives? First of all, it gives us a new confidence or a renewed confidence. Hebrews says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy where we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, when I have God's righteousness, when I'm wearing the righteousness that Jesus provides, when I, it means that I can approach God with anything that I need at any time, that I can actually walk, it says, into the throne room of heaven, that I can walk with confidence, with boldness, because my God wants to hear what I have to say. You see, the opposite of confidence is fear. When we do something wrong, we tend to hide from who we've wronged. Adam and Eve hid in the garden away from God. You see, guilt and shame keep us away from God. When I walk 
in Jesus' righteousness. It allows me access to the throne of God. I don't need to hide. I don't need to cower. I can come with confidence that I belong, and I can ask whatever I need because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. We need to remind ourselves of this every single day. Every single day. You see, I know that the devil wants to accuse you. He wants to accuse me that we're not measuring up. But when he accuses us, we need to remind him that we're covered by the blood of Jesus and we're wearing his righteousness. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You see, it also gives us, brings us into relational unity was my second point, and it produces perfect peace. Walking in God's righteousness produces peace in our lives. Why? Because it's a reminder that God is in control of everything. You see, I know that. I can can trust God because I know that God is going to do the right thing at the right time every time. I don't have to worry about anything but keeping my heart right and honoring him with my obedience. His righteousness surrounds me. And protects me so that I can walk in a peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes the world can be out of control. Things can be crazy in my life. My my kids' lives can be out of control. But when I understand and I put on his righteousness, it produces perfect peace. Here's the challenge today. That we be transformed by Jesus' righteousness. That we would know our position in him. Today, I believe there are people that are here that you've been battling with guilt and shame and condemnation. There are some here today that are even have struggled with even just dealing with worry and anxiety. And what I'm telling you today, put on his righteousness. God's saying, put on his righteousness. Put on Jesus' righteousness. Cover yourself with his righteousness. Take that position so that you can walk with confidence 